Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. Whoop, whoop, it's the police. Don't look in your rearview mirror. This podcast covers the latest police news, along with hitting the hot topics you've been talking about all week. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Today, we will be talking with Jeremy Greenlee. He's the Regional Coalition Coordinator, Indiana Trafficking Victims Assistance Program. Um, when, you, when you hear this, you usually think of uh, the uh, movie uh, Taken. <laughs> That's what everybody talks about, the movie Taken with human trafficking. But uh, Jeremy Greenlee, uh, we really appreciate you being here today. You can say hey. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. I really uh, appreciate you inviting me to come on this podcast and just to help share a little bit more information about this issue and how it's impacting our uh, communities. Excellent. So if yeah, just a little background about me, I, I work for an agency called the Indiana Youth Services Association, and one of our programs is the Indiana Trafficking Victims Assistance Program. And so it's a grant-funded program, and part of the the work that we do is we do training and education on the issue of human trafficking all across the state of Indiana. We have uh, regional coalition coordinators that cover the entire state. So I cover the Fort Wayne area and the mm-hmm. surrounding counties. Mm-hmm. And we do training and education for uh, the community and for all the key stakeholders. So we have specific trainings that we provide for law enforcement, for DCS, for probation, for uh, service providers, and for health care providers. Uh, because we know that some this issue intersects with those right. uh those groups and so we want to provide that education all our education is free uh to the host agency because mm-hmm. we're funded through the grant and so uh, we're just out there to provide more information to be able to um, get the communities to be able to recognize identify uh, the indicators and then know what to do and so you just kind of as you touched on right one of the challenges with the issue of human trafficking is just a lot of misperceptions about okay. what it looks like because okay. uh, you mentioned the movie Taken and uh, you know good done, movie good movie good, yeah, yep on. yeah so it's it's not a bad movie actually it's entertaining and you know uh, and I'm a big Liam Neeson fan so uh, but uh, the the challenge is that when people think of human trafficking that's what they think of is that movie right uh, from my experience doing trainings for uh, you know, the past three to four years on okay. this issue. And so uh, if the, if somebody, so just to recap for those uh, listeners that don't know, haven't seen the movie, what happens is these uh, two girls go overseas on a trip. They basically get there and then there's this recruiter that recruits them and they don't recognize the, they don't realize he's a recruiter. Right. They end up going to another location where they, it's basically kidnapping their mm-hmm kept in the black market, underground, kept in a cage, and then sold, never to be seen again, except for, of course, Liam Neeson comes and saves the day. Like There you it, go. But uh, <laughs> so that's not really what we see here in Indiana. And okay. so we do see, I mean, there are cases that involve some of those aspects, mm-hmm. but uh, hopefully at the end of this podcast, people have a better understanding of kind okay. of the different uh, trends that we're seeing and what it what it looks like in Indiana because if that's what people have in mind as the movie taken then they're going to miss uh, cases that are happening right here in our community okay, and so that's, that's why we're there you here. go that's why we're here yep. give, give us a what is human trafficking yeah, yeah so uh, it's a very complex crime uh, and there's a lot of different forms that's what makes it a little bit challenging mm-hmm. but it's at its fundamental level uh, human trafficking is the use of force, fraud, or coercion to compel a person into any form of work or service against their will and so uh 
the creators of the Trafficking Victim Protection Act, which is the first, with the which is the comprehensive federal law in 2000 that uh, covers human trafficking, they created uh, what's called the AMP model. So there are three main components. Okay. So the action, the means, and the purpose. Right. Uh, so for it to be considered human trafficking, you need one element from each uh, component for it to be considered human trafficking. So the first is the action. That's so what's happening? The right. uh, somebody's being recruited or harbored in a specific location or transported mm-hmm. uh, or provided, obtained, solicited, or patronized. Right. And then through force, fraud, or coercion, uh, that's the means. And then for two main uh, reasons, for either their labor or services or for sex trafficking or for commercial sex. Uh, and that would be sex trafficking. So that's... So one of the one of the, another one of the misperceptions is that um, there often is uh, transportation or crossing of borders or mm-hmm. crossing of uh, state border, international borders, that kind of thing. But there doesn't right. have to be. And so you can have an individual that's being harbored in a home through force, fraud, or coercion for commercial sex. That would be considered a sex trafficking, and there may or may not be any transportation involved. So, so it's, it's still called sex trafficking, even yeah. though they're still in one place. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and even the term trafficking kind of leads to some of those misperceptions. Okay. There is one exception, though, that's really important when we're talking about minors. So uh, when it comes to minors engaging in commercial sex acts, so uh, exchanging sex for something of value, Right. you do not, as a prosecutor, they do not, do not have to prove force, fraud, or coercion in cases of minors. So minor under the age of 18 mm-hmm. uh, that's engaging in commercial sex, uh, they are considered a victim of trafficking no matter what. So there's no such thing as a, as a teen or a minor prostitute. You'll hear these terms used, but they're considered victims, okay. uh, both with the human trafficking statute and with the Indiana statutes on prostitution as well. And so that's a really important exception to this rule. Gotcha. And it does not matter uh, from a legal standpoint if the child uh, states that they were doing it on their own. Uh, uh, so in that, in the case where there's no trafficker, uh, it could be the the sex buyer that's purchasing sex from a minor that could be charged with sex trafficking at the federal right. level. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. So that's the that's the legal stuff. But uh, okay, how are, how are these people like uh, recruiting them? How are they getting these kids? I mean. Yeah, so there's there's different ways uh, of of recruiting. Uh, well, well, I said kids, but we're talking about adults here too. Yep. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And another okay. one, of the misperceptions that this is only happens to to kids, and in particular to females. So this is something okay. that happens to people from all different ages and backgrounds. Uh, it happens to to youth that are very young, and mm-hmm. it happens to uh, the elderly that are trafficked for their benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we do see that traffickers often target uh, young. Uh, young youth, uh, both male and female, because of some of those vulnerabilities, uh, uh, and they target particular vulnerabilities, like the runaway and homeless youth population is in particular population that's vulnerable. Okay. So some of the recruiting tactics, they, uh, we've seen cases where uh, with the rise of the internet, really traffickers have adapted, and mm-hmm. they utilize the internet uh, to recruit, so it might be that they, they um use social media or some of the apps uh, we're, we're seeing apps like Instagram being used for this type of exploitation, both for recruiting and for the traffickers utilizing that for, um, Wait, in- Instagram that I use. Yep. That's right. Yep. Instagram, hmm. uh, you know, and, and some of the other types of uh, online exploitation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the offenders are using as well. Uh, for example, uh, musically is a, is an app that a lot of young girls, uh, use and so uh, where there's 
opportunity if if a if an offender is interested in grooming and targeting young females mm-hmm. and he knows that that app is used by young females and that right. is a some an app that he can then use to try to target and groom young girls so one of the big uh, emphasis is that we do is to provide that education on how to use the internet safely to identify some of the grooming tactics and to to protect uh, yourself as a youth or for parents on what to know uh, to how to protect their kids as well. So I, w- I want to make sure I understand this this whole thing. Somehow there's somebody out there reaching out to these kids. How I mean, my thing is, how are they finding these kids? How do they know which ones to go after? Yeah, so uh, while uh, we see uh, we see uh, victims from all different backgrounds, uh, a lot of the, the vulnerable youth populations that we see that are targeted include that runaway and homeless youth population, uh, youth in poverty, mm-hmm. uh, or system involvement. Uh, uh, we see uh, traffickers recruit at, you know, at shelters, at um, uh, group homes. We see there was a big uh, documentary about a, a trafficker that recruited in, for, in Florida recently that recruited uh, women while they were in prison and so or, or in jail. So he would look for women that were incarcerated on, say, prostitution charges or drug mm-hmm. charges. He would start to uh, provide them with uh, commissary and give them uh, money as a way to start that grooming process. And right. then he would uh, uh, write letters and build that relationship because oftentimes when women like vulnerable women that are in jail when they when they get out they don't have a lot of resources mm-hmm. and places to go and so traffickers exploit that those lack of resources and they try to start out by providing those uh resources uh really a good it's just grooming goes back to you know fundamentally it's about identifying uh unmet needs and trying to uh, exploit and meet those needs as a as a way to build that trust build that relationship and then uh after they have that relationship then uh, they can incorporate some, you know, seasoning or some uh, other grooming tactics to be able to uh, control or coerce the victims into either commercial sex acts or forced labor. Okay. And you, uh, I probably missed it at the beginning, but how long have you been doing this? So I've been doing uh, mental health and addictions work for about a little over a decade, working with youth with complex trauma. Okay. And so that's kind of my background. And, and then specifically with uh, focusing on this issue of human trafficking, uh, for about the last, for three years with IYSA and then a little bit before that in, in my previous work. Because uh, the thing is, we, in, in mental health, uh, we're starting to identify, or more uh, individuals that we're working with are starting to be identified as victims of trafficking, but that's not because it's a new phenomenon. It's mm-hmm. just that we're getting better at recognizing it. We're providing more education because these, these uh, uh, survivors of trafficking were coming through our doors all along. We just weren't identifying it oh, that way. Gotcha. So, it's not a new issue. It's just we're starting to have more awareness, and so we're starting to recognize it more. So this is going to lead me to my next question because I was asking you how long you were doing this. Does this really happen right here in Fort Wayne, Indiana? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I wish I, you know, this this uh, forum is not as, you know, you can't use uh, uh, imagery and right. charts to show this kind of thing on a podcast. But Polaris project.org is a great website that your listeners can go to to check out and they do a what they do is a as a heat map every year so they they run the national human trafficking hotline and they plot the data for all the calls the tips the cases that they right. uh that they get through their hotline and they mm-hmm. put them on a map and so it, what you'll find on that map is if you look at the united states northern indiana is just 
you can't even really see it because we see a lot of those cases uh, being reported in some of those major uh, markets like Chicago, like Detroit, okay. Indianapolis, Cleveland, Toledo. And so we're right in the middle of all of that. And so we do, uh, Polaris is, is identifying this as an area where we are seeing it. And for me personally working on cases, I have, so I cover the Fort Wayne area and and about 11, 10 counties around this area. And I've had cases where I've been involved in of trafficking in every, I think every county but one. And so we are seeing it, and uh, unfortunately, uh, we are seeing more cases being identified. But the good thing is that we're starting to be able to get those uh, individuals uh, more resources, and law enforcement are starting to recognize it more to be able to go after these traffickers and then the exploiters, the people that are paying for sex from these minor children. From a policeman's uh, point of view, or someone like that, Kind of tell me what would they be looking for, and then I'm going to ask you the same thing. What would a parent be looking for in their child or their loved one? Tell me what a policeman would be looking for first. Okay, sure. So we do a training on uh, specific for for law enforcement mm-hmm. on uh, it's called the Interdiction for Protection of Children, and what it, it was developed by the Texas Law Enforcement, and what they uh, did was they they started seeing trends where they were missing uh, they were uh, kids that were um, later they would have been identified as trafficking victims mm-hmm. but then they'd find that in their history they were involved in traffic stops or other uh, intersections with the criminal justice system and so what they saw was that that's a problem and we want to be able to identify them early on so they developed this training and what it's a very uh, um, specific training on what a law enforcement can look for on a traffic stop or when they go on, on a call for a domestic a domestic violence call or something okay. like that and so some of the what we do is we we look at how do you identify whether the youth is with who they're supposed to be and and mm-hmm. what are some of the indicators and right. uh, really one of the most important pieces is making sure that if if you suspect that the child could be something's off in that situation is is to you know run a report in the national you know NCIC and then see if that child is missing uh, for okay. for one thing um, trying to identify if that youth is uh, who they say they are mm-hmm. uh, are they lying about their age. Uh, do they look a lot older than uh, are they trying to look a lot older than what they are? Right. Uh, and why is that? So just kind of getting at what's going on here. If if you see something that's off, uh, just kind of exploring it more because the bottom line, and this is probably one of the most important things for law enforcement and others that are interacting with these victims to take away is that most likely survivors of trafficking or victims of trafficking are not going to identify or seek out help. And so it's really a, uh, you know, what part of the training is to teach law enforcement how to interact with the victims, how to build that initial rapport to be able mm-hmm. to make them feel safe enough to be able to talk about their victimization, whether they they may not call it trafficking, uh, but to be able to get at that. And so some of the other uh, potential indicators is like in pimp control trafficking, you have branding. And so there might be a tattoo that is associated with that trafficking situation might be have initials. Well, now, now you're saying branding, like you're branding a cow or yeah. Some cattle yeah. Or so really the, the, for the pimp, they're, they're trying to control the victim. And so this is one way method of control. It's a, you know, a sign of ownership of dominance and, mm-hmm. and it's all part of this manipulation process, this coercive process to get these women and men to right. uh, do what they want for their own benefit. And so uh, so some of the other indicators could be, you know, so the signs of branding could be initials, could be a name, could be uh, daddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, daddy is a is often a term 
that uh, traffickers have their uh, stable or their victims uh, call them. Right. Uh, and so none, none of these indicators in, in and of itself necessarily mean that there is a victim of trafficking, but right. we're looking for multiple indicators. If a youth is recovered in a hotel, uh, at a hotel, right. and they are not with their parent or guardian, mm-hmm. then that is a huge red flag for trafficking. Right. And so, because somebody's paying, if it's a youth, they can't pay for, book the hotel themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So somebody's paying for it, and why are they paying for it? And why is right. that youth in a hotel uh, where, you know, why are they there? Right. Uh, what's going on there? So that's another indicator. Not knowing where they are from or what, what not knowing uh, what area they're in or not mm-hmm. understanding the area. So just kind of looking for that. If they don't know uh, what area they're in, why right. is that? Right. Um, so those are some of the indicators uh, that could be potential trafficker. Another one is, another big one is if um, maybe the adults is controlling the conversation or it may or may not be adult it could mm-hmm. be the, the what's called the bottom so another potential victim of trafficking but then the trafficker uses that person to control the other victims and right. so uh it could be that that person is answering for for the individual the suspected uh, okay. uh victim it could be that they're controlling the conversation either because they're in their presence or maybe they have a cell phone that's recording the conversation and so that youth doesn't feel like they can say what's really happening to them mm-hmm. because somebody else is monitoring them. And then what happens is that if, if they break a rule, if they get out of pocket, it's what it's called, uh-huh. uh, then there are consequences to that. And that's just that another layer of that, that control, that coercion that the pimps, uh, use to, to control their victims, to keep them from trusting law enforcement, to keep them from, uh, disclosing what's happening to them, and even not, not even to recognize their own exploitation. Right now I'm picturing this in my head. I'm sure some of our listeners are also, trying to picture this are these uh, victims allowed to go home or do they stay in one place yeah so that's a really great question one of the um you know going back to the movie taken where mm-hmm. this imagery of somebody that's in chains or right. that's in a in a jail cell you know and you see when you you if you google search human trafficking you'll often find images of people right. women that are handcuffed and really that's that's not the reality of what we see typically is is that these are people that are out in our communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a study by Thorne, which is a, a, a wonderful agency that does a lot of uh, uh, work with in the tech tech industry with this issue. But they uh, they interviewed over 250 survivors of trafficking, and in that study, over half of the youth uh, that were being trafficked uh, said that they were trafficked while they were attending our schools, while they were attending school. And so I think what that what that tells us is that, for one, the the control, the coercion uh, right. that the traffickers have is very powerful because even while they're in that situation, they're around others that we are taught as kids that we can disclose, like te- right. teachers, we can right. we tell them if something's going on. But the traffickers have that control over them. Uh, and that also gives us, uh, as um, professionals, opportunities to provide education to our, our school teachers mm-hmm. a- about how to identify those indicators because uh, we know that according to the data, a lot of them are attending school while they're being wow. trafficked. So it's not that they're never see the light of day or that they're kept right, in the basement right, the whole right. time. And so we want to dispel that, that misperception. And, uh, as you brought that up, one of the, the things about the school safety bill that just passed this last session in Indiana is that it now requires, uh, educators to, uh, go through a, a human, a training on human trafficking every, every two years. And so we're hoping that that will lead to more youth being identified uh, 
earlier to provide mm-hmm. interventions for them to get them out of uh, out of these situations. So we're excited about that, and we do provide that training uh, free of charge to to educators as okay. well. So this this is the, the second part of my question. Talk to a parent. What should they be looking for mm-hmm. in their child, in their loved one? What 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 is what are some of the signs? Yeah. So it's uh, some of the same types of uh, indicators. You know. Uh, understanding you know uh who they're hanging out with looking for signs of grooming are there people that they met online that uh, i mean that's a that's a big one this is mm-hmm. to be aware of is is what's going on online uh there's been a couple of cases recently where uh youth meet a person online in, in, in indiana where we've seen this meet someone online they build that rapport, they build that relationship, mm-hmm. they identify those vulnerabilities and try to exploit that to meet those needs for the youth. And then they, the youth runs away and goes to stay with them and then it kind of escalates from there. And so, um, you know, just uh, understanding, you know, if somebody is is buying nice things for your kids, not that that's always bad, but uh, if, if it's like, if something's off, I mean, parents, you know, you can have a pretty good instinct about oh, yeah. what's going on yeah. in those situations. You know, if, why is this person interested, especially if they're a lot older? Right. Uh, not always the case, but that does happen where it's an older individual, in particular online, uh, trying to build a relationship with somebody that they've just met. So hmm. uh, that'd be something to be aware of. And, and we don't, we don't want to scare parents and say that they shouldn't ever let their kids use social media. It's just about educating them about the risks just like right. when we're uh you know when we drive a car that can be a very dangerous thing if we don't do it properly if we don't mm-hmm. know what we're doing mm-hmm. uh if we're texting while we're driving if we're drinking while we're driving that can be very dangerous but there are we can't ever eliminate all the risks but we can right. do a lot of things to mitigate the risk and so that's you know one of the things that i recommend for parents to do is just maybe making sure that you have that conversation with your kids about understanding what are the risks and that they can communicate uh to the parent they can talk to the parent if ever if anything ever happens to them that makes them uncomfortable or feel unsafe uh, there's uh, uh, if there's uh, a person on the other line trying to get them to send explicit sexual mm-hmm. talk engage in sexual talk or explicit mm-hmm. sexual imagery that kind of thing right. that can be a, a, a grooming tactic it could be uh, uh, somebody that's trying to uh, engage in sextortion to to control that that youth so okay so uh, i'm not well some people may be picturing in their head the the guy in the trench coat and the big hat and the collar up on the trench coat (laughs) who are the traffickers what do they look like yeah yeah that's another great question and we have this this imagery when we think about like the the typical the pimp you know Mm -hmm. right and uh don't forget the gold chains around right the gold chains (laughs) the cane uh, the gold teeth uh and uh you know that's just that, that's just the imagery. That's Hollywood. Not, that's Hollywood. Right. <laughs> so really, it can it can look like uh, you. It can look like me. And uh, uh, so it's it. There's not really a. a it can look like uh, people in our community that we mm-hmm. wouldn't even expect. That right. we would never suspect. Uh, mm-hmm. It could be. Uh, Sometimes youth are trafficked by their their boyfriends, uh, so it might be somebody that's identified by as by the vi- the victim mm-hmm. as a boyfriend. Right. Uh, it could be uh, a woman. Uh, so we often think that traffickers are are male, but mm-hmm. uh, we see female traffickers as well. And uh, sadly, as it is, uh, sometimes parents are trafficking their kids, and we see this from some of the trends that this is 
uh, a lot more common than what we would expect and what we would think. And so uh, it's important that we don't have, you know, we, we dispel this myth that it's kind of this, the typical pimp that we, we think about from the media. Right. Okay. We've been talking and kind of talk me through or talk all of us through. Let's start with a kid. Um, I'm going to say a kid. Let's say a high school student, male or female. How do they end up getting caught up in this? Just walk me through the steps to the point where now they're doing something that they're caught up in the human trafficking. Uh, Just kind of walk us through a picture like if you're creating a movie here. Mm -hmm. What would it look like? Yeah. If this is possible. Yeah, well, the, you know, I can give you one example. I, there's many different ways that this okay. this happens. Yeah, and and so it really it comes down to that grooming piece where, where mm-hmm. the traffickers are looking to target vulnerabilities and okay. to, to exploit those vulnerabilities. Uh, but what we uh, what we see a lot is, uh, and traffickers know this too, is that the, the runaway and homeless youth population is, okay. is a very vulnerable population because if you don't mm-hmm. know where you're going to get your next meal, if you don't know where you're going to, uh, sleep the next night, uh, right. that makes you pretty, uh, that, that can create a lot of challenges for, mm-hmm. in particular for youth, even for adults, of course, but for youth as well. And so, um, you know, maybe it's a runaway, uh, and the, uh, traffickers are, you know, identify that youth as a runaway. Maybe they're staying in a shelter and, or maybe they're staying on the streets mm-hmm. and that, uh, person, uh, try, you know, acts as if they're there to help them, right? right they're saying, right. hey, uh, you look like you really need help or whatever whatever they say to them to convince them. And then they maybe provide a meal for them. Maybe they offer to pay for that oh, hotel room for that uh, right. individual. Uh, maybe they're targeted because maybe they there's some substance use, you know, mm-hmm. uh, issues that, that our uh, traffickers use to, to right. lure lure kids to maybe a party or something like that. And and so then they, they sometimes this is a longer process too. Sometimes it can take up to, you know, uh, six months. In our training that we do, we have an, a, uh, a survivor, Aubrey Lloyd, who talks about her story. And her story, her grooming process was a six-month process of mm. – the trafficker and of the recruiters building right. that rapport, building that relationship so that when she had a, uh, she got into an argument with her mom and she ran away cause she right. didn't want to deal with the problems at home anymore. They became the go-to person for that support. So trafficker might target that, that vulnerable youth that's, that's homeless. They continue to build that rapport, right. uh, provide for the needs, uh, provide maybe, maybe that person has a past, uh, history, of abuse and so maybe the trafficker would exploit that and try to try to provide uh positive you know uh, connections to that youth compliments buying things that maybe they couldn't afford Mm -hmm. and then after they establish that rapport it might escalate into uh uh, well, sometimes it happens different ways, but maybe the trafficker could say, well, now you got to pay for this stuff that I've provided for you. Right. And then that's when it escalates. Or maybe it's like, uh, if they're playing like the finesse pimp, the Romeo pimp, well, uh, they're just asking this, this girlfriend, th- this victim that's been clearly targeted, but they identify as the boyfriend and girlfriend. And then maybe that's turns into, well, uh, I need some help with rent. And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. uh, can you, uh, go dance and, uh, at the, at the local strip club for me. And right. maybe it starts out as dancing and then it escalates into commercial sex acts, uh, and that kind of thing. And then, and then it just escalates from there. And, and it's a really a cycle where the trafficker 
tries to isolate the victim so that they're completely dependent on the trafficker for everything for not just their for their basic needs for love affection mm-hmm. all of that and so it makes a really powerful uh situation or a bond even some some of it involves uh violence and so there's uh, victims can form what's called a trauma bond with their traffickers and so it makes it really challenging for them to get out of that life once they're once they're in it and right. uh that's why it's so important for us as you know law enforcement and uh in the social work field and uh it, you know as healthcare providers to be able right. to identify these indicators and then kind of know what to do mm-hmm. uh at that point once you identify it right now i think a lot of it we've been hitting on we've been talking about sex trafficking there is another type of trafficking, right? Yep. The the labor. Yep. Now that's just explain that to people. Yeah. So it's the same similar components to to sex trafficking as far as the the action means purpose. So somebody is being recruited or harbored in a location through first order coercion, but instead of uh, the purpose being for commercial sex, it's for uh, labor mm-hmm. or services. And mm-hmm. so we uh, we had a survivor. We have a survivor that consults with us. Uh, uh, she's her name is Tevi, and she speaks with us and she shares her story. Uh, she had a really nice article written in the Indie Star that your listeners can look up, and she kind of goes into more detail about her exploitation. But uh, she was recruited overseas by actually a, the so the traffickers was somebody that she knew. She had a really challenging situation at home. And so she was looking for other opportunities. The trafficker, the recruiter in this case, recognized that, exploited that, provided a lot of false promises uh, to recruiter to go come to the United States and get an education and have a better life. And that's what this life that they were selling mm-hmm. to her. And right. she didn't uh, recognize. I mean, she just was. She was. She didn't have any real good choices, anyways. And mm-hmm. so she, she thought this was a, an opportunity for her. And she ended up uh, coming to the United States. And then uh, instead of being able to pursue her own goals and careers she was forced into a life of of domestic servitude where she was living in a home where the trafficker took her documentation what controlled her mm-hmm. uh what she did and she was forced to you know work in the home doing all the, the housework and doing uh taking care of the kids and in her situation there was a lot of violence involved as well mm-hmm. by the trafficker right. to control her and and you know what they do for these vulnerable populations like the the immigrant refugee population is that they can they use that as another form of control often the 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 individual uh you know like in tebby's case they can come here legally mm-hmm. and then they become undocumented as a result of their traffickers whether it's they come through a temporary work visa and the traffickers don't renew that work visa right and then that makes that's just another level of vulnerability that they can take advantage of and say to the victims that you know what if you uh go to law enforcement uh you're just going to get deported back to your own home. And that's right, not a good situation. Right. To, regardless of what's actually going to happen, you know, the, the, for the victim, they don't understand yep. that there are, there are laws that protect them from deportation if they are a victim of trafficking, whether they're undocumented or not. And so that's another form of, of, uh, you know, labor, that's an example of labor trafficking. Of course, there's right. lots of different forms of labor trafficking too, mm-hmm. where in these other industries like, uh, you know, forestry, um, restaurants, uh, some of those industries that employ those populations right. where there's not a yep. lot of oversight, mm-hmm. where we do see people that are forced to work and they may get a little bit of the money, but then they don't have the option to leave. And then the trafficker is really the one that's benefiting from their labor. They're not the ones that are benefiting from it. Gotcha. Um, one bit of advice. I, I mean, what, what we're doing is shoving what you would normally take a whole day to teach people to do probably two days. 
we're shoving it in like 45 minutes at the most yep. here. And you got a lot of information, but what would be one bit of advice you would give to someone? You're walking on the street, you're sitting in a restaurant and you see something that looks odd to you. What would you, what would you tell them? Even a parent, what would you tell them? Mm-hmm. One, so one thing. Yeah. So if, if one of the biggest things that you can do, if you're, you know, uh, you know, now that we're providing more education now on what to look for, if you see some of these indicators, and you can you can find a list of these indicators online. They're very easy to access on PolarisProject.org or other human trafficking websites. But uh, one of the the most important things that you can do if if you're in the community and you see some of these indicators uh, is just call the National Human Trafficking Hotline and and make and report a report a tip. And, uh, so, uh, or if it's a minor, then report to the child abuse, uh, Indiana child abuse hotline as well. Uh, and it only takes a few minutes of your time and you never know what can happen mm-hmm. with that tip. Cause what happens is when Polaris takes those tips, they'll gather that information. And then if they have enough information, they'll pass that to the law enforcement officers in that right. jurisdiction that investigate human trafficking cases and it could lead to somebody uh, you never know what it could lead to somebody get getting assistance getting recovered by the law enforcement officers getting the traffickers put away in jail so uh and i can provide that number go right ahead yeah it's uh 1-888-3737-888 so 1-888-3737-888 there you go so and and also that number uh if, if somebody is in need and is a, a, a victim of trafficking, they can call that number as well and get assistance. And then the, the responders on that hotline are trained right. to provide resources for those individuals. And they can text in that, excuse me, text in as well. It's, uh, the text number is 233733, and they can text help or, or info for uh, that, that number. So those, that's yeah. really one of the most important things is uh, it, it doesn't take very long you can provide your your information so they can reach out to you again if they need have further questions right. or you can do it anonymously it takes less than 10 minutes they just ask you a few questions walk you through the process mm-hmm. and then you go on with your day and so give that text again yeah so it's 233733 and individuals can text help or info mm-hmm. to that number and then somebody will respond or they can also call of course the hotline if they have the uh, ability to call that hotline and get uh, okay. assistance as well. What if someone wants to reach out to you? Have you come to their school, their church, their organization, and, and you put on the full blown <laughs> thing? Yeah. How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can go to our website. It's uh, slash itvap, I T V A P. So you can you can go to that website uh, certainly, and there's a f- form you can submit if you want to say bring this training to your church or your school mm-hmm. or your agency. Uh, uh, that's a way to reach out to us. Uh, that's probably the best way. Or uh, if you're a local um, organization that's interested, that you can also reach out to me via email uh, as well. And I can, t- I'd be happy to set up a training for your organization. And my email is J at I N D Y S B dot org. So it's J G R E E N L E E at I N D Y S B dot org. And that's really the best way to get in touch with me. So human trafficking in our area is real. It's happening. Yep. 
but it's not like you see in the movies. Right. But yeah. you just got to know what to look for, right? Yeah. And and with with the data, it's it's really challenged to know how common it really is. Mm-hmm. But you know, this is this is a crime that nobody should have to experience. And so even mm-hmm. if it's one person in our community, mm-hmm. it's too many. You know, that's somebody's daughter, that's yep. somebody's son, that's somebody's mm-hmm. uh you know, that's somebody that is in our community that even if it's one, it's too many. So that's what I like to to reiterate, even in some, it, and it doesn't just happen in the urban areas. It happens in rural settings as well. And sometimes those settings are more challenging to identify because uh, the people don't think that it's happening in those right. rural communities too. So when I mentioned it's happened in, in almost all of my communities where I've I've been involved in cases personally, uh, that's in the rural communities mm-hmm. as well too. So yeah. It's, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. Jeremy Greenley, we really appreciate you being here today with us, uh, spreading your knowledge. And like I said, you've taken and shoved like four days worth of stuff <laughs> in about 35 minutes mm-hmm. to get us to understand what is going on. Uh, I will also have information on our Facebook page uh, to contact you because I'm sure most of them probably didn't have a pen or paper to write it down. But we're going to get that information out. And I know you work with police departments. You've worked with schools. And I had the opportunity to sit through one of your courses, and uh, I took a lot from that, and I wanted to make sure I shared what I had today. But, uh, Jeremy Greenley, we really appreciate you being here and taking a time out of your day to come speak with us here on Police Pod Talk. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks to you. It's been great.